Well, hello. My name is Doug Jones, and this is another episode of Doable Discipleship. My buddy Jason Wheland will not be joining us today. Uh, before you get mad about it or anything like that, today, the day of recording, not the day of release, but the day of recording, is Jason's actual birthday. So he's taking the day off, he's enjoying the family, hanging out. Everybody needs a break on their birthday, so I'm sure you'll forgive Jason for missing this episode. This is a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your friendship with God, but as Jason would call it if he were here, it's the show that helps you grow. Today, uh, we're going to be having a conversation with a buddy of ours named Ken Baugh. Ken is a longtime pastor, great leader, uh, and just a brilliant, brilliant guy. He's a friend of our team, the Spiritual Maturity Team at Saddleback. And today he's going to be joining us for a really important conversation on emotional health. And you may not have ever, you know, uh, recognized the importance of emotional health in your personal walk with Jesus. Today, that's going to be the topic of discussion. And to help me with that, my uh, good friend and esteemed boss, Rob Jacobs, is going to be joining us for this episode too. So you'll hear from him in just a couple seconds. Stick around for the theme song and we'll be right back. All right, Ken, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's a great lot of fun. Being, really great being with you guys. Rob, you're guesting with us as well, so I'm kind of double dipping. Yes. This is nice. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, it has. Uh, he said that with a slight tinge of resentment in his voice. <laughs> or hesitation. You never let the boss <laughs> come on the show. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's the lesson. That's true. I did introduce you as our esteemed boss. So, Well, Ken, uh, can you start off just by telling us a little bit about yourself and what your passions are in ministry and how that plays out? Yeah, I, I've been a follower of Jesus for 42 years. And uh, when I was 12, I asked uh, Christ into my life. And at that, the next day, actually, I felt that's when I felt called into full-time ministry. So hmm. I've been a local church pastor for 25 years. Uh, the last four years, I've been in a new season of ministry, uh, working with pastors and coaching Christian businessmen, working with staff teams, uh, working with churches in different contexts around uh, emotional health and discipleship and how that plays out in our spiritual formation, our being conformed to the image of Christ. Mm. And so what I, what I get to do today is everything that I've been most passionate about doing for all these years, except mm. now I don't have to manage a large staff and <laughs> deal with budget issues and the crisis du jour and raising funds and all the pressures that mm. go that go on in you know leading a large church and it's or a new leading season. Doug and Jason <laughs> well hurting that's, cats that's easy well. yes <laughs> yes well you're kind of describing kind of a pastoral dream you know you're getting For to sure. do some of the things that you are most passionate about and are most shaped for and you kind of get to focus uh you get to focus on that in a way that most pastors don't have the luxury of doing. Yeah, you're so right. I've even wondered if I'm doing now what I've what I'm most shaped for than mm. I've ever done before in my life. Wow, which is a little scary to think about. <laughs> yeah. It's taken me 25 years of pastoral ministry to get to the place where I'm actually living out of my truest shape. Mm. But you know what? Better late than never. <laughs> yeah, in God's time. Well, we're, we're talking about emotional health today, and that's an issue that not a lot of people have probably considered when it comes to how that fits in with their discipleship journey and influences their relationship with God. So can you talk a little bit about how those two realms relate very closely? Yeah, it's such an important question. When you think about the fact that God created us as whole beings— so we have a material self, which is our body, our flesh, and we have an immaterial self, which is our inner self. The Bible refers to that as our spirit, our heart, our inner being, our inner self. Mm -hmm. And as you read through scripture, you discover that the heart is really composed of three primary elements, thought, emotion, and will. Mm -hmm. All three of those elements work together to influence behavior. And when you, then it, it, when you, when you, look at it from that perspective, it starts making a lot of things make sense. Jesus constant talking about the heart. Mm. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. 
the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this emphasis on the whole person coming under the umbrella of discipleship mm. is the paradigm that I think we need to get back to. There was a time where that we broke away from that, and we can talk about that if you want, but yeah. I think it's important to recognize the fact that our emotional self is creating the image and likeness of God. God is an emotional being. Yeah. And if, if you doubt that, just read through the Old Testament. Mm. And our emotions are certainly not what we trust to drive us in life, but they must we must pay attention to them because they inform us about what's going on. It's not unlike the lights on your dashboard. When your oil light goes off, it's a really, really good idea to stop as soon as possible. Yeah. And I think emotion, if we're paying attention and if we're cultivating self-awareness, can help us even as a diagnostic tool for our own self mm. to go, why am I feeling so angry right now? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so frustrated? Why am I feeling so sad? Mm. And to recognize that those don't dictate truth, but they do guide us in our understanding of truth and of what's going on. Hmm. You talked about how that got off track at some point. Can you say more about that and how you think that happened? Yeah, it. there's a lot of, it's probably a number of streams that kind of converged at one point. Uh, so the elements that I would throw into that kind of box of thinking would be the Reformation, hmm. uh, you know, early 1500s, uh, Rene Descartes in the 16th century talking about, you know, his famous, I think, therefore I am. Then you have the enlightenment of the 1700s. And it was at that time, that convergence, where we started moving away from this mystical, supernatural, spiritual aspect to what we can figure out. Mm. And it was a really a divergence or a schism, if you will, between the head and the heart. And we started then moving forward, looking at life through the lens of the, ration, the rational, rationality, cognitive, mm -hmm. intellectual, and that is certainly an essential aspect to our discipleship. But And to just human life. Of course. Yeah. But God created us for a relationship. Mm. We don't, he doesn't want us just to know facts about him. He wants us to know him. Mm. So when we're talking about emotional health, I think we're actually coming back to uh, what we were all about hundreds of years ago mm. to, uh, to a more robust understanding of what it really means to be disciples of Jesus, what it really looks like to function in a healthy way in the image of Christ mm. as believers. And it's possible that these last few hundred years have been taking us down a rabbit trail into this head knowledge of God that has really divorced itself from any kind of an emotional, experiential uh, relationship with God, mm. which is possibly why we see so little difference in believers and unbelievers when you look at the data. There's something broken in our discipleship. Mm. There's a missing element. And I think that missing element is emotional health. Mm. C.S. Lewis says something in, in Mere Christianity, which I reread recently, and he talks about how, you know, if a man has taken a wrong turn, it does him no good to continue heading down that wrong path. And actually, the best way forward is to turn right around and go right back to where he started from. Yep. And so what I think I hear you describing is that we need to reclaim a more complete view of the human person so that we can enter into a, so we can carry that whole person into a relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. And I think we have to also, we have to do that within a robust theology. And I think a lot of people are afraid that when we start moving into the psychological realm, that, oh my gosh, bad, be careful. We're going down this, this humanistic trail. We're going into Freud and, mm -hmm. you know, all of this uh, spooky stuff that uh, is very understandably concerning to people, but we've tended to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. And I think we have to come back to recognizing that God reveals truth through two primary means, special revelation, which is scripture, mm -hmm. and general revelation, which is creation. Paul in Romans right. 1 says that even his divine attributes, he reveals to us in general revelation. Yeah. So I understand all the sciences, whether it's psychology, anthropology, sociology, neurology, what have you, fall into the category 
of general revelation that can inform us in our understanding of special revelation. Right. Special revelation is always the final filter, but we have to we have to recognize that there are things that we can learn from general revelation, from the sciences, that can inform us in our discipleship. Yeah, as long as we keep it grounded in the objective truth that we that we know. I, I think of like the Psalms; it's a perfect example. It's such emotional writing from David and other and other poets, and you see throughout the Bible. In fact, poetry is included throughout, and in, in most books of the Bible actually contain some elements of poetry. And in poetic writing, we find there's a real that that emotional life is really brought to bear and is it really exposed there. So we can see that God is interested in the emotional life of human beings. Rob, well, it's, jump in. It's, it's taking the knowledge and looking at it and saying it, it's not just something we know. There's a lived reality to the, the things that we know. So as Ken said, like we can have a robust theology of who God is and who Jesus is. And yet, my emotions can get in the way of fully embracing the mm. truth of those things. So oh, yeah. if, if I, and, and I'm sure Ken will talk about this later, but if I look at the, the emotions that come up for me the way I view my own father, mm-hmm. well, there's a lot of hurt there. There's a lot of trauma there. There's some things that happened in my past that, that start to create issues with the way I think about the truth the true theology, the true reality of who God is. God is a perfect father. He is always present to me. And yet, because of how my own father interacted with me growing up, there's this sense that my emotion is like, well, he's not present with me. He's he's not there with me because that's not what dads do. Mm-hmm. Even though on the other side, I can go and teach the theology of like, you know, triune God, you know, Jesus is with the Holy Spirit, a part yeah. of the Trinity lives in you. The whole, but And yet I'll go... From that moment of head knowledge and then into the lived reality of like, but you're doubting, you're not, your prayer life is impacted because I'm struggling with my emotions of how yeah. I see my own father and how that spills into my, my lived reality of my relationship with my heavenly perfect father. Yeah. I think that speaks to the split that you were talking about perfectly, that we can operate on two levels. Intellectually, we may know something, but emotionally, we may have a hard time really coming to grips with that and living it out in our behaviors and Yeah, and I think in addition to that, the other half of why we haven't really thought about emotional health in our discipleship is because most people don't realize how much unresolved emotional pain affects them in their relationship with God and with each other. Hmm. And if we let that linger, if if we let unresolved emotional pain linger in our heart, it does not go away in time. It has to be healed. Mm. And the mindset of, well, it happened so many years ago, I don't need to deal with it or, or, or worry about it. I need to just kind of press on and move forward uh, is a dangerous model mm. because time alone heals nothing. Uh, all it does is continue to exacerbate the problem and it festers, it gets toxic. It's it's not unlike leaving you know a sliver in your finger that the body is going to attack that and try to push it out. And sometimes it needs a little help. Mm -hmm. And I think our emotions are an aspect of that. It's a, it's an analogy, a metaphor, if you will, that I think is helpful when we're talking about spiritual formation, being formed in the image of Christ. So we're, we're we're talking about really developing a penetrating eye to see the hurt from the past and to really begin to see the emotional life that we're living out each day. And I think there's a level of self-awareness that has to develop along with that. But I mean, in my mind, asking the right questions seems like a big part of that process. What would you say are some of the questions that we can begin to ask ourselves in order to start developing an eye for our emotional health? Yeah, gosh, there's a lot. Um, a couple, a couple things is what lens am I looking through? Hmm. I think there's four primary lenses that we look through to discern reality or truth, if you will. Uh, one would be our family of origin. Rob, you spoke to that. One would be the culture that or society that we grew up in. Right, A woman who was raised in the Middle East is going to have a very different experience because of her culture than a woman who has been raised in the United States. Yeah. So culture and society is huge. Painful life experiences create a lens that we look through. And then if uh, a person has any kind of church background, the church that you were raised in, the denomination or what have you, what was taught in that church, how God was uh, 
not only taught to you, but modeled to you. Those are, and there's other lenses, but those are the four primary ones that I mm-hmm. believe we look through that help us to discern what is really going on. It's, you could call it your worldview. They're the elements of your worldview. Mm. Most people don't realize that what they're actually looking at is a distortion of what those lenses are portraying. And so that's why special revelation is so essential because God is outside of that, our Mm. distorted understanding of truth. He gives us what is actually true truth, right? If there is such a thing. And when we internalize that and let that inform us in what we're seeing, now we can start seeing with greater clarity. Mm. And so I think asking the question, what lens am I looking through? Just being aware of those lenses mm. is a huge thing. A couple other things in regard to questions. Uh, one is that, do I really want to live in the freedom and the fullness of life that Jesus has made available to me? Now that may seem like a no-brainer, right? Yeah, of course. (laughs) But here's the deal. We get so comfortable in our pain, in our distortions, that it becomes terrifying for us to move outside of those things. In fact, Mm -hmm. our pain becomes so familiar that it becomes part of our identity. I know what it's like to live in this kind of pain, and I've survived this long. I don't know what it's going to be like if this pain gets healed and I have a different life experience. It, it, it reminds me of, you mentioned C.S. Lewis in Chronicles of Narnia. I think it's in the Prince Caspian volume where Eustace, right? He's just kind of this very difficult cousin of, of the brothers and sisters, uh, finds this treasure, puts this gold bracelet on his arm and then turns into a dragon. Hmm. And as the story plays out, uh, Eustace wanted to be free of this pain in his arm because as a little boy that he could put that brace on him, but as a dragon, it was cutting off circulation, really painful. Mm. So Aslan had to come in and Eustace had to lie still and let Aslan take his claw and cut through that dragon skin, which was basically his suit of armor that he had on. Mm. And once he was free of that and then was told to go to jump into this kind of pool, salt water, it stung like crazy because it was this raw skin that he had, but that mm. was his true self. The dragon layer, that pain, if you will, that we, that we live through, that perspective that we have donned as who we are is what needs to be cut through. And we have lots of layers to that, but God wants to get to the point where he can cut through that layer to let our true self be exposed, which is who Mm. he created us to be. Mm. And to live in the relationship that Jesus has actually made possible for us, which is called the abundant life. Mm. Let me see if I can flesh this out a little bit. (laughs) Rob's eyebrows are going up and down vigorously. Well, so, okay, first lens, family of origin. So Mm. I think about my family of origin, like I said, some difficulties with, the father relationship, um, as a young child, single mom, spent a lot of time with babysitters, grandparents, all great stuff in one sense, but all also speaking a very uh, thin thread, but a powerful thread into them, into my, into my mind and in my brain, into my heart that's saying, you're kind of unwanted because I'm going to drop you off every weekend at the great grandparents' house. I'm going to drop you off every summer at the grandparents' house. Your dad left, Hmm. but Okay, that's but that's a distortion, right? Because I have uh, I have a God in heaven, and I have a Savior Jesus Christ who wanted me enough to go to the cross for me. So it's the battle of my emotion getting in the way of the truth of the theology, hmm. life experiences. Uh, you know, Ken, Ken challenged me on this one um, in a conversation we we're having one time about you know I'd been a police officer, I'd been a vice principal, I'd been a marine, and it was like you're very good at not having to feel emotion. To, to put, putting emotion aside because the job requirement, but you get comfortable with that over time and you, st- and you stop um, pushing in to feel those, those deep feelings and things that you need to do that you need to wrestle with. Because again, you're distorting who God is and you start to distort, distort who you are, who, how you see yourself. And even then that plays out in your relationships and how you see other people. So how I see my son, how I see my wife, you know, especially how I see me, you know, my issues of 
Am I worthy? Am I good enough? And those kinds of things. Society and culture, we live in Orange County. It's a very fast paced, go make it, go make it happen kind of place. You're always the temptation to compare and see, you know, how your friends from college are doing or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, and even honestly within where we work and like, you know, I'll never be as smart as Pastor Rick. I'll never know as much as Pastor Tom. So there's always this, like, I'm, I'm comparing myself, mm-hmm. which is a distortion. It is an absolute lie. And yet I, it's a struggle, right? And then mm-hmm. the religious background, I didn't grow up in the church. So everybody else has all these years and years and years of going to, you know, Sunday school or SK or people, you talk to people that grew up here at Saddleback and I didn't get here till my 30s, you know, because... So there's always like, well, I don't know enough. I haven't experienced enough. There's these things, all distortions about who I am, all distortions about who God is to me and the love he has for me, all distortions that play into how I parent and and the fears I have as a dad and the fears I have as a husband, all of this coming out of the thoughts, emotions, and will that are in my heart. And to to just ignore those and say, well, I know the theology is to cut off who God wants uh, to be to me and who he wants me to be to the world and who he wants me to be to myself. Hmm. So it's it's just an awakening to that, to that reality of there's so much happening in the heart, the thoughts, the will, the emotion, um, and the conflicts that spin around those things. Hmm. That's great. Can, can you share uh, just some of your own journey with this? I mean, I'm, I'm sure at some point there was a bit of a breakthrough for you or there was a a moment of realization that then developed further. Can you talk a little bit about your own emotional health Yeah, journey? so my breakthrough came as a result of my breakdown, mm. which sadly is how a lot of times we come to this place where we're open to the change and growth that is available to us in Christ. So four years ago, uh, I was a senior pastor of a large church, and I just hit burnout big time. Mm. Uh, it undermined my capacity to lead, uh, to lead well. Uh, it's sucked me dry of my creativity, my capacity to be a strategic thinker, to, to just do what I needed to do as a senior, as a senior pastor of a large church. And one thing led to another and the elders just came to the conclusion that it was time for me to go. Hmm. And the process around that was very difficult. Some of which I uh, have responsibility for just because I was put in a place of panic and fear as to, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. And so one thing led to another. Uh, they let me go. And now I was in this free fall of, of fear and of doubt and of feeling like a failure. And so the just the shame of all of that was just kind of coming in to crush me. Mm-hmm. And it was... It was there in that place of vulnerability and weakness and brokenness and just honestly, uh, I was just destitute in what I was gonna do. I didn't, there was just nowhere to go. Uh, That God met me in just a profound way. And I followed him out of that darkness, not because I knew it was the best thing for me to do, be, but because I, it was the only thing I could do. Hmm. You know, it's like in John 6, uh, when Jesus kind of drew a line in the sand about following him and a bunch of people left, and the text says that even some of his disciples left him, Jesus turned to the 12, and he said, so are you guys going to go too? And I love Peter's response. Peter said, Lord, where else are we going to go? And that wasn't this declaration of great insight and intelligence on Peter's part. I think it was just the realization that there is, there's nothing else. We, yeah. we get it now. So what are we supposed to do? There's mm-hmm. nothing else we can do. It was this, in a sense, I think it was a, it was a cry of desperation or, 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 or an indication of the desperation that he felt that, Lord, there is nowhere else to go. And of course, that is the only place to go, right? We know that. But it was truly God meeting me in a place that was very profound, very healing. And so these last four years, I've been in a process personally of uh, growth, of health, of self-awareness, and the ability and, and privilege really to walk with others through that. So 
which is again, a continuation of my own healing. Mm -hmm. So when I have pastors that come to me who are on the verge of burnout or who have burned out, uh, I have a different ability to empathize and connect with them than I have would have ever had otherwise. So mm -hmm. even in all this pain, God has been bringing about beauty from ashes mm -hmm. in just a profound way. Love that. What is the, the, as you talk about that, what has been the role of knowing and understanding your identity in Christ in that? Yeah, I think, I think understanding our identity and understanding who God is are essential to rewiring our brains in regard to the distortions that come from past life experiences. So what I would say, Rob, is uh, for us to understand who we are is essential because to your point, just as you were sharing your story, and it's not dissimilar with some of my story as well, it's not the things that happen to us in life that cause the greatest problems. It's how we interpret the things that happen to us. So as a little boy, my parents divorced when I was five. And I was just with my dad yesterday, and he was talking about some things around their divorce that I remembered. And he said, son, how do you remember that? You were three and a half years old. I said, dad, I can close my eyes right now and picture exactly where I was and what was happening. Mm. I said, I thought I was kind of making this stuff up. Was it true? Was I standing outside on the porch? Was it dark? Was the light? He said, mm. yeah. So I hadn't thought about that in 30 years. And so that, but that's there because our brain can store a, a terabyte of information, which is about the equivalent to the World Wide Web. I mean, our, you have a hundred billion neurons in your brain and it doesn't, so essentially your brain doesn't, you don't forget anything. You just don't have direct access to it, but it's there and various things will trigger it over time. And so I think associating well, I must not have been loved, you know, because I was abandoned because it was more, it was my fault that they got divorced because as a child, you only have a certain cognitive capacity. Uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't grow up with you unless you process it. So what we typically do is we take that life experience and that capacity to understand it at that age and we stick it in a closet or a vault is probably a better metaphor and lock it down mm. thinking that, well, it's in the past. 30 years later, it doesn't bother me. Uh, well, guess what? It leaks out in all kinds of ways. Mm. And until you're able to identify that and process it, and part of the processing is rewiring those thoughts about yourself that are distorted because of that perception. And one of the very practical ways of doing that is by knowing your identity in Christ. And another thing I'm a big proponent of, we can talk about this later because I think it's important to the process, is why memorizing scripture is so essential. Repeated thoughts. Yes. Mm. And we can talk about the power of that, but it's just, it's incredible, not only how God created us, but once we get in alignment with how God created us in our own spiritual formation, we see explosive growth and transformation as a result. Mm. Yeah, you, you made me think, I, I always, when I think of memorization of scripture and the importance of that, I always think of habits of thought. We have habits of behavior, but we also need habits of thought. Yes. And often because of our past hurts, we have sort of a reflexive response to triggers that come up and we react to those things without, without any thought, but that it's possible. And like you just referenced, maybe we'll talk about that more in just a couple minutes to kind of dig a new groove in the mind yes. where we begin reacting differently. And so what used to be second nature becomes uh, history and we can actually develop a new way of thinking. Um, let's just talk a minute about, about the stakes, you know, like what's at stake here? Why is it so important for a person to address their emotional health? And, you know, why is it so detrimental if we fail to do that? I think what's at stake is living the abundant life. And I would define the abundant life as a life characterized by love and hope and joy and peace Think of the fruit of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Think of all the character qualities of Christ. That is what I understand the Christ formation process is that those are what is being cultivated in us through the work of the Holy Spirit, through our partnership with him, through mm -hmm. various efforts. I love that term Christ formation. Yeah, I have not heard that phrase before. 
So I'm, I'm writing a book right now with Nav Press uh, about all of what we're talking about here. And that's the working title right now is Christ Formation. Man, well, you heard it here, folks. I wish I had a link that I could... <laughs> we'll have to keep us in the loop on that because when that thing drops, we're going to definitely plug it on the show. Um, well, that kind of takes us into the next thing. We're going to be talking a little bit about um, just some resources that can help people as well on this journey. I mean, so if they want to live the abundant life, they want to begin to gain freedom from the past and become this new creation. Before we jump into the resources, I have, I'm, there's an issue that for him that's been part of my journey. And maybe can, you can just talk about how, how has shame played a role in mm. interfering with the, the, our relationship and our identity? Shame is the cancer of the soul. It is the most, probably the most clear expression of evil in this world. Because shame doesn't just uh, attack what you did, it attacks who you are. Shame goes to the base of your identity. So it's not that uh, you are a bad little boy or, or bad things happen to you because of whatever reason, it's you deserve this because there's something wrong with you. Uh, Brene Brown says that shame is filling in the blank that I am not blank enough. Whatever you put in that blank, I'm not good enough, rich enough, famous enough, pretty enough, handsome enough, strong enough, successful enough, whatever you would put in that blank is an indication of shame. Hmm. Shame is the direct result of sin. Whether it's sin that we've committed or whether it's sin that's been committed against us, that is a key distinction. I actually have a kind of an infographic where I map all of this stuff out that we can make available to your listeners Super. Uh, in the show notes. But it's really helpful when you can kind of visualize this and you see how it begins with sin and then permeates down through how we deal with that sin. And the, the thing that makes shame so powerful is that it, it grows in secrecy and isolation. Mm. And so when you think about Satan is the accuser of the brothers, right? He is the father of lies. Jesus said it's his native language. It's all that he knows how to do. His constant attack is to tempt us to believe his lies and the distortions about the things that have happened to us that create doubt in our relationship with God, doubt in our relationship with ourselves and with each other, at, that completely undermine, basically get us stuck in, our, in the mud, if you will, in our own growth and transformation. Mm. So we start to hide behind the bushes as God's looking for us. I was going to say that exact we, thing. Yeah. You know, we totally, we, we put our leaves on and hide from each other. Yeah. So yeah, it goes right back to Genesis three, but here's the really sad thing. Much of the addiction and the emotional bondage that people are in is because they're coping with this shame and these, uh, unresolved emotional and spiritual conflicts. Mm. It, it, it's what you described a second ago. sounds like a feedback loop where shame begets isolation and vice versa. The more isolated you become, the more alone with your shame you become. I mean, Genesis 3 just rings in my mind because of how instantaneous it was for Adam and Eve. Yep. They disobeyed God. They believed the lie of the serpent. They decided to turn from him. And instantly it says their eyes were open and they realized their nakedness. And Donald Miller talked about that moment where God you know, comes in the garden and calls out to them, where are you, where are you? They, they kind of emerge from the bushes and... and they said, we realized we were naked, and so we hid. And Donald Miller phrased that realization in an interesting way. He said, it's as if God was saying, who told you something was wrong with you? Where, where did that come from? It's, it's this thing that naturally and instantaneously just sprung up within them. And so literally every human being, since the two original parents, have dealt with the same phenomenon of shame and the same pain. Yeah, and when you go back to the text, it was the knowledge of good and evil that God was trying to protect Adam and Eve from. They had the knowledge of what was good, mm -hmm. but now they were going to have the knowledge of what was evil, and that's what God was trying to protect them from. Right. And that's what the enemy capitalizes on. And here's what's interesting. We are the most vulnerable to the lies and distortions of the enemy when we're alone. Mm. And so that's the very place that shame drives us. It drives us into isolation where, we, where we're afraid. So fear is a big part of it, right? Goes, that goes back to shame. shame. Shame births two things. It births fear and blame. And mm -hmm. we see that played out right in the Genesis narrative, <laughs> yeah. 
right? Because they were afraid and they hid. And then what they start doing? They started blaming, right? Mm-hmm. Adam Why'd you blames give it to this girl. Yeah, <laughs> Adam blames God, right? He blames yeah. God and he blames Eve. Throws them totally under the bus. Yep. And then uh, Eve then in turn blames the serpent, the serpent, right? And so here we go. And what has changed since Genesis three? <laughs> yeah, absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm tempted on rabbit trails here because this is an area of study for me that I really that I really enjoy. But uh, I, I think we're talking about something that is just that is deeply ingrained in the broken part of human life. Yes. Look at you were airing up for something, Rob. Are you gonna say something there? Nope. All right. Well let's let's talk about resources real quick. Then we're gonna go back we're gonna come back to doable steps and we'll talk a little bit about how the listener can actually because this can sound like an ethereal topic and I think it's important to put some some handles on it for people. But let's start off with some resources. Any books or or you mentioned a resource that you've created an infographic and you'll supply that to us so we can get it in the show notes. But what other resources or books have helped you along this journey? Yeah, well there's been a lot. So my dissertation was really developing a model for discipleship built on a robust biblical theology infused with findings from psychology and neurology. So there's a whole neurological side of this that I'd like for us to touch on if we can. So one of the resources that I want to suggest is is a book in that. Probably if you're going to just get one book, I'm kind of a bookaholic. I have a problem. My name is Ken and I'm a bookaholic. Oh, geez, I'm sitting here with two of them then because Rob is the same. <laughs> I'm an audio bookaholic. Don't get me started. <laughs> and, and if it's possible, my, my dear wife is even worse. So... Uh, we are on first name basis with the UPS driver that de- delivers our Amazon <laughs> packages. So, you know, I've got hundreds of resources, but if there was one volume that I would recommend more than any of the others, it's a book called Minding the Heart by Robert Sosi. Uh, Dr. Sosi was the chairman of the theology department at Talbot uh, School of Theology at Biola University for many, many years. Uh, that's where I did my doctorate. And he does a phenomenal job from a very conservative theological uh, perspective that is not scary at all uh, in helping us understand how our inner being works, how God designed us, Mm. and how all of this stuff that we're talking about really plays out. Mm. So single best volume, it would be Minding the Heart. Mm. From there, I would go into a book called Anatomy, Anatomy of the Soul by Kurt Thompson. Uh, Dr. Thompson is a psychiatrist, practices in Washington, D.C., and is also speaks at the Tory conferences uh, quite often at Biola University. But he specializes in the area of neuroscience and the kind of the intersection of neuroscience and psychology. So he's very learned in that area. And, it is, and he's very biblical. He's, he really understands scripture. So he comes at it from a way that I think, again, is very conservative, but is also helpful. Hmm. Uh, Victory Over the Darkness, kind of an old school book, but Rob gets to our identity in Christ in a very profound way by Neil Anderson. Uh, Neil was a theology professor for many years. He's an engineer by for, by his early training, so he's very methodical in his thinking. Mm. He's probably done the best job in regard to understanding our identity in Christ than anybody I've read. Mm. And there's some good there's some good writing on that but it's really excellent. I just came out with a 10-year anniversary edition of that. And then uh, Switch on Your Brain by uh, Carolyn Leaf. She's a Christian and a uh, cognitive neuroscientist. And she comes at it from a little different perspective. Like I wouldn't buy into all of her theology, but she really understands how the brain works. And she does a good enough job biblically mm. where you start understanding, okay, there's some connections here. And mm. so it creates a paradigm. And then finally, I would say Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. I yeah. mean, that's, I would say, Minding the Heart and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, if there were two books that you were going to get in the plethora of resources that are out there, those would be the two I'd probably recommend mm. the most. And you can find uh, Pete Scazzaro's books on the on the books website um, and also on the Lake Forest Bookstore, and they sell his stuff. Yeah, saddleback.com slash books has that one, and uh, yeah, at the bookstore as well. And we'll link all these in the show notes so people can link off to, to purchase these. Um, There's been a couple things that have been super beneficial to me, at least in terms of um, other things. Not um, Ken mentioned a lot of the books, a lot of those I have and I'm waiting to get into, but journaling has been profoundly important to me um, in, in dealing with thoughts and emotions and getting those out. Um, that's been a big uh, help to me. Also, foundations, which 
you may think, well, why the theology? Because if you don't know the theology, you don't know the truth. You you you, un- you you experience the distortions, but you need to know what is the truth, what is the foundation that we're bringing everything back to. Mm-hmm. So you need to get into foundations and understand the truth of who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. What does the Word say? The tr- you know the um, just those truths that will help then. Um, create that contrast to the distortions. Hmm. Um, you don't know what to fix if you don't know what's true. Yeah. Um, um, and also, you know, most campuses, they have to celebrate recovery. And a 12-step, um, going through one of the 12-step programs, very helpful for me in dealing with issues that I was struggling with, with kind of fear and anger. Hmm. Um, 12CR, as we've said many times in the show, Johnny Baker's been in the show several times, it is not just about drug addiction or alcohol addiction there it's there are CR is a place where you can bring some of these emotional issues to and work on them with other people in relationship and uh, I you know I would just encourage you to think about that as well yeah yeah and I would say Rob to that too everybody has emotional issues everybody struggles with shame and the difficult thing is when we relegate that out to oh it's those people or I don't really have the problems that mm. they have. So I can minimize my own stuff. And that is again, very dangerous. And I think part of the deception, right? Is the enemy wants to mm. try to deceive us to think, oh yeah, everything's fine. When it's really not. Yeah. It propagates more isolation. Yeah. One other thing um, that I, it's been helpful for me and I'll share with the listeners is I've written my own prayer around identity. So I've taken identity verses and identity scripture and kind of change the words to make it about who God is saying I am. Hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's just a prayer, pray to myself, but it's, it's something that I re- I do every morning and I'm just repeating back these truths that, um, I'm clothed in Christ and, and Christ is in me. And, um, those things repeated every day have just been, it's been powerful. Yeah. New and I think that's, and it speaks to when the listeners hear this, you know, what we may we're either in the middle of or finishing this series about, um, you know, becoming a new you and mm. this weekend talking about metanoia and this, you know, transforming the mind. Well, the repeated thoughts again and again and again, that's why scripture memorization is so important. You need to speak the truths that God has back into your mind again and again and again and again mm. to create these new mental ruts and these mental yeah. pathways. A whole um, new groove. A whole new groove. <laughs> I want to, before I forget too, Ken, you did a talk here at Saddleback, uh, one of our conversations in spiritual maturity. Uh, we have that recorded, and I'll uh, link that in the show notes as well. This is a, this is a resource-rich episode. This is going to be decked out with links and a lot of good stuff. <laughs> All right, let's talk about doables. Uh, what's one, or maybe two, whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll let it slide. One step of emotional health that a listener can take right away to start investing in this in this part of their life. Take a walk by yourself and ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything going on in my heart that I need to pay attention to? Hmm. And I know that sounds very simplistic, but in Psalm 139, David prays, search me, O God, and know my heart. The Spirit is the one that knows the deep places of the heart. We don't even know our hearts, but He does. And He is gentle and patient and careful in extracting in the right process and in the right way those things that are hindering our formation in Christ. Hmm. And if we, but we have to invite Him into that. That is a big deal. The Holy Spirit will not kick the door down on you. You have to invite him to come in to expose these things and then bring those into relationship with others. It's not enough to just do this in your relationship with God because God created us to need him and to need others. It's not good for man to be alone. Hmm. So growth always has to take place in the context of relationships. And so, but you need to be able to identify what's going on in order to bring it into relationships. I do these five-day uh, discipleship cohorts in Montana uh, on a ranch in Southern Montana. And we, uh, for five days, it's a day, it's, we, we do teaching on discipleship and a lot of these concepts that we're talking about. I teach this with a couple other pastors and uh, we have over the five days, they spend extensive time alone with God 
processing through the things that they're learning. And then we bring all that into small groups. But we these are cohorts of uh, 20 to 25 people max. They're not, this is not a big thing. It's very intimate, very intensive. And I watch guys, and we do it. We, we do this, and it's pastors, it's businessmen, it's lay people. I mean, it's just everybody. It's missionaries. We have people mm-hmm. come from, to these from all over the world, and they, it's the time they spend alone with God, that at the beginning is the most terrifying, mm-hmm. because you know, within an hour being on the ranch after our first session, we turn you loose for an hour to be alone with God, and everyone's like, okay, I can probably do that for ten minutes, mm-hmm. and then what am I going to do? But what's interesting is on our evaluations at the end, and I've been doing this now, this will be my 10th year. At the evaluations at the end, the number one thing, next to how great the food was, the number one thing <laughs> is I need more time alone with God. Mm. And yet they've had, they get four and five hours a day alone with God in various times of the day. Mm. So it's terrifying for most of us. And I'll throw myself into this as well to just get quiet and listen to what God might have to say. Jesus said that the spirit is the spirit of truth. He will guide us into all truth. Well, part of what is true is what's going on in me. And I don't think people put it in that context. They think, oh, he's going to guide us in the truth of salvation or in the what is true theologically or what is true about scripture. And all that's, of course, true. Right. But there's also stuff going on in us that he wants to bring about because it's hindering the capacity for us to experience the abundant life that he's made available to us Mm. and to grow in the character of Christ to the degree that we actually can. I think most people really think that Christianity is about making a decision, confessing your sin, accepting Jesus as your savior, and then you're going to go to heaven when you die. Mm. And while all that's true, there's so much more. Yeah. There's a life right now. You forgot all the stuff in the middle. Exactly. (laughs) It's not like, okay, Jesus, thanks for my salvation. We're good to go. I'll see you when I die. Mm -hmm. Your eternal life begins at the moment of your salvation with Christ and then goes forward from there. There is so much more available in this life right here, right now, than any of us have ever dreamed was possible. Mm. And I think what gets in the way of that is all of this emotional unhealth and the shame really is the glue that kind of sticks all this stuff together and keeps people from experiencing what Jesus has made available. Yeah. Yeah, that's a life that's promised to every believer. That's I always call it the John 10:10 life, the rich satisfying life. It's it's accessible, it's real. And it doesn't have to be a yeah, when I die kind of thing, like everything will be fine in the end. It's like no, God God has a healing journey now for you. Yeah. And I it's interesting going back to John 10:10. The first thing Jesus said is the thief has come to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. Mm-hmm. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it more abundant, depending on your translation. I find it very interesting that Jesus addresses the spiritual warfare right up front. Yeah. And then And contrasts it with what he's about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes us right back to the garden all over again. <clears throat> and it's all bookended. <clears throat> Doug needs to clear his throat. Rob, anything else from you before we wrap up? A uh, couple of doable steps that I like to use. Um, sometimes when I'm journaling or just grab a napkin or whatever, if you're if you're in a place of tension, you can kind of feel that like, hey, your mind's spinning a little too much. You feel it in the shoulders. Your stomach's tightening. I mean, that's you yeah. know the physiological signs of like you're kind of wrestling with something. There's some tension. Um, just make just make a simple line down the page and put a lie and truth on each side, and then what is the what is the lie you're believing about God right now? And go, what is the Bible? What is the truth? What does mm-hmm. the Bible say is true about God? What is the lie you're believing about yourself? But what does God say is true about you? What mm-hmm. is the lie you may be feeling about others? But what does God say is true about them? And this, this is, it's just a helpful journaling exercise or just, you know, even in the, in the car during lunch, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. just help ground yourself again in the truth of who God is and get away from the distortions that you're um, experiencing. Um, and, you know, Ken talked about going on a walk, you know, it's taking time to get a retreat. You know, they can check out the retreats page on, uh, on our website. Just go down the Rancho campus and walk around. Um, mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful place or go to a park, um, but just get out and just find some space to think about things yeah. um, and just to kind of let the Holy Spirit 
kind of help you to um, to kind of dig down to some of that stuff that's it's in there. It's back in your head somewhere. Uh, but and if you can start to uh, wrestle it through, um, and there's freedom in that. Yeah. Yeah, to, to tie to tie this one up, <clears throat> we did an episode on silence and solitude a while back, and I'll link to that one as well. So people can, if they're f- trying to figure out, okay, what does that what does that time look like, and how do I brace myself for that experience? Because it is an experience when you take a prolonged period of time in silence. It can be a it can be a uh, healing, powerful experience, and it can also, at front at least, be a jarring experience yeah, if if you're not accustomed to silence. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll link an episode that can help with that too. Any closing words, Ken, that you'd encourage people with as we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, we haven't, we've just skimmed the surface of, of neurology. So yeah. we might have another conversation at some point about that because yeah, I think we should. I think the way God designed our brains to work, when we understand that or have a basic understanding of neuroscience, it really helps us realize why memorizing scripture, why believing our identity in Christ, why all this theology that we're good theology that we're taught all the resources the great resources that are available to us are essential but it helps bring it all together Mm. in a way that makes it very practical yeah let's do that let's get on the calendar while you're here (laughs) all right everybody thanks so much for listening and uh, we love you we'll see you again next time If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of video content. And if you're already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app, so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you.